fucking good. It's fucking great. Oh yeah, Indian matchmaker good as fuck too. So. <laughs> I so want to talk about it. It's so interesting. Anyway, that's the okay. When you wake up, get you some rest. Get you some naps. <laughs> I took a two-hour nap, so I can't. I, you know, I got no job. I took a two-hour nap. I can't. Even, I can't say nothing to you. I took a really good nap today. I'm so sorry that you're tired. I'm so sorry. And I still have to eat and exercise today, so we're gonna we're gonna make it work. Though no, it's all right. It's all right. It's, it's good. All right. Are we ready? Yep. Uh oh. <laughs> Welcome everyone to another episode of Four Layer Takes. Today we will be reviewing. The 26 Emmy nominated The Watchmen. Yay. Yay. Yes, we we will be doing episode six as a standalone episode because it is just that good and deep and so much goes on. Called This Extraordinary Being. I am your girl, Kim. It's me, Mimi. Your girl, Mel. It's your boy Marcus, a.k.a. Brianna Taylor. Um, it has been way too many days, way too many days that Miles Cosgrove, Brett Hackinson, and who was the last guy? Uh, Jonathan Mattingly had been able to walk free on God's green earth. Um, it is, until they are arrested, we are not safe at all. Like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, an injustice anywhere is a threat Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Mm-hmm. And as long as these three men are allowed to walk free, we are not safe. This woman was at home, sleep, in her own bed. I can't think of a place where you're supposed to be safe. Right. Like, at home, sleep in my own bed is where I'm supposed to be the most safe. That is what I consider safety. And for somebody to break into my house and kill me, they could do it to anyone. So they should not be allowed to roam free. Um, Call the Kentucky AD, call the Louisville AD, and demand justice for this woman. Yeah. Yeah. She had two, she was a frontline worker in two jobs. Yeah. So, you know, she was just trying to keep people alive. Oh, and, and, and I don't want to cut y'all cut and to everybody doing like Rihanna, her death is not a meme or some joke. Stop that, like that mean joke stuff. Like I understand that you want to bring attention and make people aware of it. But it's not a joke. If you want to do real change about it, call the ADs, demand justice, sign the change for what is it? Um, it is the most. It is the that change petition has either the most signatures or the yeah. second most signatures ever of any change petition. So yeah, so her death is not a joke. If you want to bring about actual change and recognition and, bring, and highlight it, sign a petition. Call those ADs, demand justice. Yes, sign up for change.org. Um, they're the ones that will send out. You can sign, you can sign the petition. All right. Uh, I, I was, yeah, on that note, I was just trying to make a note that John Lewis this past weekend, so I just wanted to. And CT Vivian. Yes. yes. Well, I, yesterday I did, I watched, um, they, him, they, they took his body on Air Force One and they took him around. So now he's um, laying in state which was really, I, it was nice to just watch them go to all of the different spots in D.C. Um, to give him one last goodbye. And seeing him go to now Black Lives Matter Plaza, I was like, yeah. okay. He'll be here tomorrow. Won't he be okay. in Atlanta tomorrow? And then his yes. service is Thursday at Ebenezer Baptist Church, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, the pastor, isn't the pastor running for Senate? The pastor at Ebenezer I, Baptist Church? 
Raphael? Warnock. Yeah, Raphael Warnock. Uh, I don't know. I have to check that out. Wow. So, yeah, we had a lot of history taking place um, right now. But, yes, rest in peace. So, we are going to hit um, episode six. Uh, we actually start off with an episode of the American Hero Story. So, this is the, we're watching the, epi- the show within a show concept that they've been doing uh, about hooded justice justice and the Minutemen. and in this uh, first kind of opening scene we see, we find out that um hooded justice has been kind of taken by these two dirty cops and they're trying to blackmail him to take a picture of his face and use it as blackmail um because we found out a couple of episodes ago that uh hooded justice was actually sleeping with um, Captain Metropolis. So they know that this is a thing that's happening. So then it's, I don't think it's kind of secret or anything, but they, you know, make love, whatever. Um, but what we find out in this, in this scene, in the TV show, in, within the TV show, is that Captain Metropolis is rumored to have been having sex with J. Edgar Hoover, um, and that there's a video of it. So he is threatening to blackmail um, J. Edgar Hoover for this video. So the dirty cops are kind of, you know, you're seeing like all oh, these bad dirty cops and they're trying to, you know, bowl over. Um, to, they're trying to get to Captain Metropolis through Hooded Justice. But Hooded Justice shuts them down and beats them up. And it was it was like that. I find out I find that this reminds me more of like the old Batman show where it's like, pow, boom. And they're like <laughs> punching each other like the, <laughs> the words. So... And that's how kind of we open. Anybody have anything about that scene? It was a fun scene. No, and I, I love it. Like it, I forget sometimes that they, that um people, I'm not sure. I don't know that J. Edgar Hoover was a uh, was gay. <laughs> well, it definitely is rumored that J. Edgar Hoover was gay. Um, that he was a cross dresser. Uh, so I think it, it's interesting how they t- how they weave in real history to uh to the show. It's kind Absolutely. of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. So we go to the next scene, and as I remember from last episode, Angela took all of her grandfather, Will Reeves, nostalgia pills. Um, nostalgia allows people to kind of relive their memories. Um, so she took all of these pills and just basically downed them, and she's um, kind of in uh, headed to a comatose state right now because she just took all of, this, um, all of these at the same time. So imagine your entire mind is being, your body and your mind is being bombarded by other people's, somebody else's memory all at the same time. So we find out that Nostalgia is made by Lady True's company. We met her uh, the last couple of episodes as well. So we know she is very, she's a first trillionaire. She um, built the Millennium Clock. She um, knows where Will, well, where Will Reeves is, as we remember last episode, because uh, we saw Will at the end of um, in the episode talking to her. Um, Lori is trying to basically get Angela to do a pump her stomach so that she can get all this stuff out. Because remember, nostalgia uh, basically can put people into comatose states. It can um, basically kill you, or you can get so addicted to it that people would take it so much that they would then die or be put into um, basically comatose, comatose state. So she is uh, trying to get her to pump her stomach before she starts these hallucinations, but it doesn't work. And then we get poor Angela goes into black and white world where she is now as tripping balls at this point is what what I what it made it look like. So she's having all of Will's memories kind of flooding back. Um, what I love so much about this episode was the way that they played with the color where Will's memories are in black and white and then what happens in modern day is in color. Um, I loved uh, just the play around with it. Um, well, I think it's everything the about it. I think, it's the huh? I think it's 
the opposite of that, isn't it? Because what his modern day was was in black and white, but the Tulsa memories had like a sepia tone to them. They had, yeah, they had a, yeah, they had a sepia tone. And then if you saw his mom playing the piano, that was kind of a touchstone. She, and pretty much every main scene, she's kind of just, you see the, her back uh, yeah. playing the piano from that day, from the uh, the Tulsa Massacre. Um, I also love the, the way that they, you know, like we would see Will's memory, but then it would look like, it would be Angela's face that we would see. And so she would be living his memory as her. And that yeah. kind of tripped me out. I was like, am I high? Am I high? Like, am I like I- how, they tie, how they're tied in in a scene at the end. But we'll get Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just, the whole thing is really cool. But the way they play with color is just brilliant. And I feel like they do such a good job of that in this show. Um, yeah, nothing is left. Nothing is played around with. Nothing is wasted in this show. Yeah. Marcus, you have anything before we get started? No, like you said, the coloration, um, like even in his flashbacks, I feel like when they flash back to him telling his story or Andrew going through his story, everybody else is in black and white and he or her are the only people in color sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. Please give us another season of something. Please, please, <laughs> HBO, HBO gods. <laughs> um, so we uh, kind of see the first memory uh, take, take form um, and it's um, in black and white. And we see Re- uh, Will Reeves is becoming a, a NYC uh, police. We know that he was a policeman for quite some time uh, through the 40s and 50s. And then he just kind of just goes away from the, the police department. Nobody kind of knows why. So we see him being badged and all the other new cadets are being uh, initiated into the police. And there's the white, uh, it looks like the captain going down, giving them their buttons and he's wishing them well and thanking them. And then he like walks past Will. I'm like, you see this dude standing right here. And then um, a black police, uh, uh, senior policeman gives him his uh, button and welcomes him to the force. And he whispers in his ear, beware of the Cyclops. And I'm like, oh, this is going downhill quick, guys. Uh, (laughs) Right. So what was interesting about that little fact, the police officer that pinned Will, his name was Samuel Battle, uh-huh. and Samuel Battle was actually the first black police officer on the NYPD force. Oh, So I like how the series actually takes real people and kind of interjects it in so you can go and do your little history lesson. We can all be Dr. Petey. <laughs> I forgot you. I forgot you'd be on the Petypedia files. <laughs> but yes, that's, it was, so I was like, oh, here we go. We seeing the beware of Cyclops. I'm like, oh, this is not gonna, this is not gonna bode well for our guy. Um, so kind of later on in that scene, we see that um, June, who is, I, it seemed like they never, quite introduce her who she is this early but I'm like I think it's his girl I'm just gonna call her call her his his girlfriend for right now and leave it at that so she's actually writing a story she's a a journalist and she's writing a story about him you know being a a new black um, police officer which I thought was real nice and in that scene um she just says you know you're so angry and like I'm like but everybody should be angry like yes uh, he's you all have been through major trauma in you know in Tulsa of course he's angry of course he's mad um so I thought that was something I wanted to call out because that is brought back up again later in the episode I mean what a generational trauma yeah definitely well I mean I feel like even with him it wasn't even generational I'm like he was having he had real life trauma (laughs) 
Her issue wasn't that he was angry. I think it was that he was not processing it and was acting like he wasn't angry. So it's like someone who has like an anger issue and they want to be portrayed as the nice guy when really you have this unprocessed anger. And she has probably seen his anger come out in ways that he didn't even realize. Mm. We'll see later. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, I read it as like, hey, it's great that you're a police, but you're so angry. Maybe you shouldn't be a police. Like right now, I don't have a gun because I'm very angry as a 2020 Black woman living in the South. Like, I'm not going to get a gun anytime soon. Because <laughs> I know I am too angry. So I'm just going to sit here and, and be my best self. <laughs> so uh, the next scene we get Will, who is now kind of, he's uh, on his bead. He's out there in the streets. He's walking, you know, walking around trying to protect society. And he sees this man throw um, uh, a torch, uh, like a Molotov cocktail, through a Jew- the window of a Jewish deli. Um, so when he calls the guy, he's like, wait a minute, hold up, dude. That's not okay. You know, come here. And the guy kind of just brushes him off, like, you know, basically, N-word, please. Like, that's basically was what he was looking like. You're, what are you going to do? Um, Will was like, I'm about to arrest you. You're going, going in. So Will takes him to be booked at the police station. Um, the guy is completely dismissive still. And uh, one of his fellow policemen come out and he's like, oh, um, you know, don't worry, Will, we got this. You know, we'll, we'll t- I'll take care of it. Uh, you, this guy needs to apologize to you. So he makes this guy apologize to Will. And, you know, at the whole thing, I'm just like, yeah, right. Give me a break. <laughs> um, and then at the end, when he takes the guy that had uh, torched the Jewish deli, he says, um, he kind of looks at him, he takes him, and then he does a hand sign where he puts, uh, uh, oh, like makes a circle with his thumb and um, one of his fingers and puts it on his forehead, making it look like a, so- a Cyclops eye on his forehead. So then I'm like, oh, okay, beware of these racist-ass white people who don't wear hoods and they wear police uniforms. Hashtag Breonna Taylor. Message. I mean, mean, clearly this is like a uh, brother group or whatever, the other KKK. Was it the, I I mean, they call him the Grand Wizard now, but then like the the lead KK person, he's like the the Grand Oculus or the the Grand Wizard. Yeah, the Grand Oculus. I don't know. I just know the Grand Wizards were the the head but I'm, i don't you know, this was just the cyclops is just another way of something yeah. that they're doing in yeah. the kkk yeah you know, exactly it's they're clearly the kkk but you know, like i think that the oculus thing is pulled directly from the kkk I, believe, okay. I was gonna say i call trump um the grand blizzard not the grand wizard as a homage to his um fat ass and the dairy queen blizzard so <laughs> okay <laughs> I didn't know where this was going. Grand Blizzard is because he's grand, because of that hair moving around. I was confused. Put it together, homage of his racism and his um, just okay. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) We were there with you. We we support you. We support you. No worries. So we see, you know, kind of what the police captain was telling him to beware of the cyclops, and you see this guy make the signal, and I'm like, uh, and it just reminded me of like how now in 2020 with a lot with uh brett um kavanaugh is hearing a lot of the white supremacists that had his back were doing little hand signals on national on international tv um and people like stephen miller doing uh racist 
uh, hand signals. And they we know what they're doing because it's not a secret. Like they're doing this in the White House as a part of the White House and a part of our Supreme Court now. So it, that just, you know, made me so irritated. Like now I think so this is actually what we're going through right now today, which is, is fucked up. Um, okay, so we so they take the guy back and yeah, Will is just say, you know, mm-hmm. Stephen Miller is the biggest coward on the face of the earth. Oh He's yeah, the, what? Stephen Miller is the biggest coward on the face of the earth. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. And, and like, look at him. Just try, you... try, trying to stay behind the scenes when you're the one pushing this. Trump's really just saying the shit that you say. You write his, You write major, You write most of his speeches. Right. And he doesn't stick to. So yeah, no. And, and, is 32 or 33 and, and looks like he looks like a strong 66 year old. Oh, like that's that's what that's what racism ages you, you know, it makes you look terrible, like a terrible human being that you are. Yeah, it's terrible. Sorry, guess what? Racist, it makes you look old. It racism that might is the funniest thing that I heard. Racism makes you look old, <laughs> <laughs> it, it ages you. Yep, well, not doing- Melisandre. That's, some That's all I was thinking when she said it. Racism makes you look old. Hey, racist, stop being racist. You look old. Where is Melisandre? Sorry. <laughs> she got her neck, she got her anti-racism necklace on. Right, that, bitch, that bitch left. And, okay. <laughs> oh God, PTSD. <laughs> um, so we move to the next scene and we have Will um Will is actually walking his beat and uh, he kind of uh starts talking to the newsstand guy. The newsstand guy has a comic book. He's like, Oh my gosh, did you hear about this? this comic this uh this poor boy guy his parents had to put him in a rocket ship to save his life and they sent him away and i'm like oh okay another superman reference like i'm getting smarter about it i love that part i just fucking love that part so <laughs> i'm picking it up y'all know i'm kind of slow sometimes i don't always be picking up things i'm like i remember <laughs> this one and i love to have a lot of newsstands in this uh in this show <laughs> Where the fuck is a newsstand at? I like it. I love it. <laughs> well, there's no internet. So how, how do you get the news? Yeah. yeah. I love TV. it. Now, and you don't see it as like the parallel with Will too? His parents put them in that wagon and sent them away? Yeah. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's why I loved it. That's what, um, yeah. I thought that's what Mel was talking about. Because they, well, I tied it into Superman and to Will. Because they, okay. and Will does kind of a flashback too. Yeah. So I loved it. Like, you're you're great. You're gonna save save people. You're great. Super, you're our you're our black Superman. I love it. So, um, as Will is talking to the newsstand guy, we see the same dude. Here he come, number two, the second time. The the guy named Fred who uh lit up or burnt up the Jewish deli, and he bumps him kind of rudely in the streets, and he was like, you know, said some racist bullshit and will is like wait a minute you should have been booked and so he realizes that the dirty cop that told him that he would book him and he did the cyclops sign didn't they just basically the beginnings of the um the conspiracy and kind of what's happening behind the scenes uh so then will goes back to the police station and he confronts the dirty cop is like you didn't do anything to him you let him go like what's going on and the cop at the front desk kind of i guess he's the one that you know that you that greets you when you come in he's like dude you need to let this stuff go he was like 
just stop what you're doing. He said, what is that hand sign? What is that sign that, that, you know, the other cop did? He was, he said, listen, let it go because you'll have a bullet in your head, basically. So the cop at the front desk was trying to warn him, like, this is way beyond you or I, this is some dirty shit. Like you need to walk away or you will get killed. So, um, so Will now he's all the way turned up because he was now he realizes that so many more people are in on this. This guy named Fred that keeps popping up is definitely dirty as fuck, and he's now into it with this Cyclops uh, signal and these other dirty cops. So that was a scene. I was just happy that the the, the cop at the front desk told him like, "Dude, you gotta leave this this shit alone because they'll kill you." All right. Y'all have anything about that? I just get your time. Like, why is this fat guy still like he just keeps. Leave, leave this man alone. Like, calm down. <laughs> they popping up your racist. You ain't got nothing else to do. Being, ain't, nothing, no, ain't nobody else to be racist to. <laughs> like, leave us alone. Go somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, so we see in the following scene um, that uh, while Will is um, kind of outside, he, he's uh, kind of just standing out, kind of doing his own thing. And he, the police officers that the guy that did the Cyclops sign, they kind of pull up in a police car and they're like, come on, you know, get in with us. You know, we're going to, you need to go somewhere. You hang out with us. Like they're trying to like coax him into the vehicle. And like every inch of you is like stranger danger. Don't go, don't go with these people. And Will's like, no, I'm good. You know, you can go ahead and drive off. I'm fine. I'm good to go. As they drive off, and the scene is black and white, you see on the ground that they're dragging two black men um, that are that are dead, presumably dead. And the only color in the scene is the red blood on the street. Um, so it was just- Tulsa. Huh? That's a flashback to Tulsa. Like th those yes. are the ghosts, if you will, mm -hmm. of two people who were killed in Tulsa. Uh, yes. When and I first, we, saw, that, when I first saw that the first time, like, I straight up got emotional. <laughs> like, because yeah. I knew where this was going. I just visually, the, the artistry in presenting it that way, I was like, that's a It lot. was brilliant. It was brilliant the way they presented it. Because I'm like, but uh, Black people being dragged is something that has happened in the, the current day. Like, this isn't but it's, that's not happening ever. It's still happening. And, and the way that they intertwine that imagery and the flashbacks and what I, how I called it the ghost of these people was just kind of like that ghost of that that brutality and and viciousness is just still here like it's always here like mm -hmm. it's always here you know it's almost like if you had the antennas to pick up on if you had the sixth sense to sense the racism that happened here or the or the lynching that happened here it's it's still present like mm -hmm. it's is present with us that's one way i kind of viewed it was how yeah. i was trying to yeah, yeah. we carry it i mean i mean we'll get to it it's kind of in relation like with hooded justice like this that the america doesn't like to talk about is the violence of the racial violence history that it has so yeah um and i just thought of, i i didn't even look at it that deep i was like okay the shit is still happening so we're just like, I'm just like, okay, so they still being racist. They still killing black people. And I, in the imagery of these white cops doing this, they're not hiding the fact that they're pulling up, dragging these two black men and they've killed them. Like they're, it's just like, we don't give a shit. Just like they, just like they walked into Breonna Taylor house and shot that fucking house up and shot her eight times. It's like they're police. They don't care. They can do whatever. You saw what they did in Atlanta to Rashad, um, Rashad, um, Brooks. Is that his name? Rashad Brooks. 
yeah, so you're just seeing the police brutality at its at its worst being at its best. Like this is the reality of our situation or in black people's our everyday lives. Yeah, I mean, once you I mean, we all know the history of the police and understand that they, they weren't designed and meant to protect black people. So mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. They were they were they were created by Cyclops. Um <laughs> <say that. laughs> <laughs> so a little so Will doesn't get into the car. He sees that they're dragging these two uh, black men who are now dead, and he goes around to the back trying to like you know get away from them. They pull up on him and basically start beating him up to an inch of it. Like they almost kill. I thought they were gonna kill him um, right then. They grab him and throw him into the police car, and then they take him out to a field where they put a black hood over his head. They bind his arms. They put a noose around his neck, and they uh, hang him. They lynch him. Um, I don't know. This is what I don't know. Did the rope break or did they let him down? That's what I never quite understood. I thought that they... Uh, they let him down. They let him down. Okay. And I, I just, at the end, they cut the rope so that he only had the noose around his, his neck and then the uh, the rope around his um, wrist. But I, I didn't know, like, was he thrashing so that he fell down? And they were like, oh, well, he fails. So let me just cut him down. So they cut him down. They just wanted to show him that they're in power. He has no power. You better get in fucking line because we can kill you. Can kill you anytime we want to kill you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, do y'all have anything about uh, about the rest of that? No. Okay. And what I liked in this scene, which was kind of cool, is that we're watching the scene happen as a part of Will's memory, but it's Angela's face that we're seeing um, on the screen. Like she's the one that's being lynched. Um, so it was. It was that was really powerful the, the way that they did that. Gina did such a good job, right? She really did. Um, That's why yeah. she's nominated. Uh, they need to give her like every any award they can give her. Just give her all of the awards. I don't know. Can she get a Tony Award for this? I don't know. But just give her one. Just, just give her an animation award. Just give her all. Of the did Lou Gossip Jr. get a nomination? They had so many. I haven't gone through all. Let me all look of them. and see. It's so many. It's so many. They should get all of them. But she should get the she should get supporting actor, actor, main actor. All just get all of them. Don't let nobody else get no awards. She's the only one to get one. Yeah. Um. So then we see uh, they have the police have cut him down, cut Will down, and they leave the noose um, around his neck and on his uh, his arms, kind of the rope around his arms. So he's just, he now has to walk. They left him at the tree, so he's basically walking. I think really trying to maybe get home. So as he's uh, walking back home, he has the hood in his hand. Um, and he sees this man and woman being assaulted and beat up in an alleyway. And he just, he has the hood and he pokes um, uh, eye, eye sockets into the hood and puts it on his face. Then he just goes and beats up these two, uh, all these guys that were assaulting this man and woman. Um, I mean, he just takes all of his rage and anger from, you know, definitely from what just happened to him and trauma. And he just unleashes it on their asses and was like beating them up. The man and woman thank him and they walk off. Um, but you see him, you know, with his hood on that, that hooded justice. Now he's becoming this, this new uh, persona. Um, so the next day, uh, Kim, to answer Mimi, yes, Louis Gossett Jr. was nominated as well. Okay. He deserves it. He deserves it. Good job, Will. Um, so we uh, see him go home the next morning. So he's home the next day with June. And uh, she, you know, shows him the newspaper. She's like, you're in the newspaper. They're uh, calling you the hooded defender. You saved these people. And, you know, so he's like, oh, okay. Uh, this may be a thing that I am. Maybe. I don't know. 
so we'll see what happens. It was kind of, that seemed to me was a little bit odd, but like now we know he, they called him the hooded defender in the newspaper. Did she convince him to do it though? Yeah. I feel like, I feel like she talked him into it, and it but I was like, yeah, I feel like she did. Or maybe she felt like, you know what, this is a way for you to get your anger out because you are really traumatized and angry. You can just put this hood, you can just save people's lives. Like, I don't know. Well, she said yeah, that. I think she like, kind of convinced him. Yeah, she said, this is how you save the people, this is how you do, but you can't do it as a black man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like she gave him the idea and then he, you know, ran with it. Yeah. Because she was like, um, usually the case. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this. I like this twist, like that he is hooded, that he ended up being hooded justice. I think, like, it goes back to like the show American Minuteman, whatever. Like America, just white American television. America whitewashes everything, and for this man to actually be a black man, I, like I don't think when Alan Moore wrote. The novel wrote the graphic novel. This is what he intended, but I promise you, this was the best thing for the character. Right. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And if you want to tie it in even more, Bass Reeves was whitewashed as the Lone Ranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you he go. Was, he was all the way whited. He was just made to be white. He was <laughs> white. When the white was white. Look, appropriation has been happening for a long time. A long time. It's so when you it's so many levels to this. It's like so many levels. Yeah, it's what's up. It's um, so a little bit later in that scene, we kind of see where June does talk him into it. She, you know, t- uh, thinks they kind of talk about like what happened the day of the Tulsa massacre and his mom playing the piano. Um, and it, we've talked about this pretty much in every episode. It's been a reference to um, him sitting in that movie theater and Bass Reeves was on the screen um, and kind of Bass uh, going after, um, I love that Bass Reeves was in all black and then he was going after the criminal, which was the sheriff who was in all white. Um, and Bass was like, we're not going to let mob justice happen. You know, this is, uh, we're going to trust in the law. That's what he kept saying. We're going to trust in the law. The law is going to do, do the right thing. Um, so June is like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but you as a black man, she tells him like, they're never going to get justice with your badge. Like that's not going to happen. So what she helps him do is kind of paint around his eyes to make his eyes look white. So when he put the hood on, it, it seems like you're looking at a white person doing good not a black person doing good. And she says, you know, um, they'll be fine with you uh, delivering justice as a white man, just not as a black man. Like you can go out here and be, do all this bad uh, vigilante stuff as you want, but you need to make them know that, make them think you're white so that they let you do it. So I was like, damn, like he done become a police. He can't say lies. He got to act white. He got to put this hood. It was just like some, it was layered. It was uh, layered like onions. (laughs) And I like the reversal of the white of the white face. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought it was funny, like the inspiration for his costume and everything. Like they, it's they they his name was hooded justice. So you think him dressing up with a noose around his neck, he's handing out justice, that type of thing. But it's actually inspired by the complete opposite. By, right. By, like again, racism. It's, right. it's inspired by racism. So, but yeah, that and thought, that was. And that's what's causing him to dish out the justice, if you will, to the, the people who actually deserve it. Mm-hmm. So how to with all of that. Yeah. 
so yeah that was that was yeah this has minty layers of very complex racial history everything um in it uh the next scene we kind of see hooded justice take take form so we see will has he has his hood on he got his eye, white people eye makeup on he looking real caucasian uh he got the noose around his neck he got everything he ready to go I'm like, you look like you about to go kick somebody's ass. And what he's done is he's um, been investigating Fred, the, the same uh, racist guy that, that keep popping up um, and that he knows that there's, he has something to do with um, the Cyclops. So he was like, so he's basically casing Fred out. So he finds out that Fred owns a store. Um, so he goes to the store, he cases it, he kind of goes to the back of the store uh, to like, it's like a meat market. So he ends up going back um, and he just sees like all these KKK hoods and robes back there and like, you know, meat hanging from the ceiling and all this kind of foolishness. And so he goes in and um, he just starts like beating up the all the uh, KKK members. Like that was another Batman scene. He is taking everybody. This man is, is superhuman. I don't care what he says um so he starts taking them out he's beating them up and then he starts kind of looking at you know what's there so he sees that there is a map of of, of united states and it has all these cities written down all these cities and states written down then he sees that there is a book called uh mesmerism for the masses so like how to hypnotize a lot of people at one time um so you kind of see him uh, looking, kind of taking in all this information. He done beat up all these KKK members and he goes around to the front of the store where he just starts fighting everybody. And you see Fred with the gun and he shoots open the shoot lettuce. And it reminds you of the scene in American, um, the TV show within the TV show, the American hero. We saw that big scene where he had that, that huge shootout um, in the grocery store. And they're like, I'm like, oh my God, this is it. This is what happened. Um, so you see that kind of that kind of tie in and as he uh jumps through the window to so he doesn't get shot you kind of freeze frame and yeah. you i'm like wait what just happened and then you hear Lori pause of the episode <laughs> yeah because i was like again i'm like i'm like i am i high like i know i didn't take anything but maybe i'm high and i'm understanding what's going on so we hear Lori blake kind of in the, her voice kind of in the background and now we realize that basically Angela is in a comatose state um, and they're trying to talk her down from or back into the real world and down from this bad trip. So she brings uh, Cal in and Cal's kind of like, you know, I'm your husband. This is what year it is. He's trying to bring her back into the present. And it's, it's really, really sad because I'm like, you see her kind of crying a little bit. So it's kind of sad. What's up? Um, I just thought that that was weird. I was like, why okay. is Cal reading what he knows? It, that, <laughs> it's weird. My name is Cal. <laughs> I didn't think I'm your that. husband. You have three Like, why are you reading? You can Because he is a special case. I've been trying to say this. He's a special case. <laughs> You've been saying that. I ain't gonna lie. You've been saying that. It was so... Bizarre. And I remember the first time I watched it, I thought, like, why the fuck is he reading this? You know me. That's intimacy. That's intimacy. Let that man love his wife the way he wanna love her. That's intimacy. That ain't intimacy if you don't know that you, you don't know your name. You gotta read. That's <laughs> like me saying, my name is Kim blank the blank blank blank. Reading I am. <laughs> it is 2009. 
<clears throat> it's like the president <laughs> is. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you know who the president is. <laughs> is it say right. He didn't take the nostalgia. Huh. <laughs> it was so bizarre. I did not. I, you know what? I didn't know. He just this. fine. That's all he got going for him. He just fine. That's it. He is fine though. Man, what the? Oh, y'all knocking people's intimacy. Now, um, I, yeah, I did, that was the least intimate thing I had ever seen in my right. life. Straight up, because even she was looking at him like that was the least <laughs> intimate thing ever. Yeah, Marcus, we're gonna send you a book on intimacy right. because when you're pulling this shenanigans, you ain't gonna never get married if you're pulling <laughs> bullshit like this. Girl, wish somebody would come and breathe some bullshit to me. I'm like, what? Girl, it's like no way. That's like him looking at the paper saying, "Um, I love you." Like, <laughs> you're supposed to know. Let him move his wife in his way. He not. He, I, he, he clearly couldn't remember that he loved it because he had to read it on the sheet of paper. <laughs> yeah, it was on. No, I was. Uh, I really like the freeze frame part because it just translated really well. Like, if somebody, I to me that felt like how it would be if you were coming out of trying to come out of any uh, highness or or over overdose and like you're kind of there and then you're kind of not and you're like crying because you're in the middle of this shit but just the way they did it like yeah i just thought it was really good yeah and like then when she kind of starts and when she starts crying that's when you like my heart just drops i was like fuck she is trying to get out of this yeah it's like she's like like, dude you took that whole bottle boo you gotta you gotta ride this bitch out i mean Um, have you ever I have a I have a drug story. I guess I'm I, I I'm not gonna share on the podcast, but I'll just say I can relate. I can relate to being in a place that I ain't want to be no more. Oh my god! I had one tear falling. I'm like, I don't want to be here no more. It's just long enough. Well, somebody. Oh, no, that's a bad trip right there. It was, it, was, it was a mixture of the wrong things all at once, and it was just it hit all at once, and I was like, "Oh, but I can't get out right now because <laughs> she was in the fucking place." <laughs> I was hearing things. I thought I was hearing stuff, and I really was. And I was like, "It's only been fifteen minutes, huh?" <laughs> That's no, fucking yeah, like 20, 20 minutes. Yeah. You're going to tell us what that was after this. Okay. Yeah. 20, I want 20, more 20 details. Minutes, 20, 20 minutes hit different. Like straight up, we've been in this year for about 13 years and it just hit different. Yes. It that is so funny. Like I was thinking when uh when uh he was reading it, I thought I was like, I went on a date with this dude one time, I call him lame ass Leon. And we're like at this romantic restaurant. It was Why so do I nice feel like I know lame ass Leon. You do, you know, you know. Oh, um, I do. Oh. <laughs> and he so we're having this great dinner, y'all. And it's so romantic. And like we just, you know, like making Google eyes and everything. We eating real good food. It's like the you know, the candle lit. And this fool pulls out an envelope. He starts asking me questions, like out of on these slips of paper that he's printed out on a like that's not intimacy. He wants you to know you better. He <laughs> that's was playing not, a game. He was playing like, shenanigans. 
shenanigans. <laughs> I was like, it took all the intimacy and all of the like the good, you know, vibes that we were having. I was like, wait a minute, you he put like a manila envelope. He like literally typed this shit out, cut the pieces of paper, and put them in the fucking envelope. And oh my god! I was he, like, put thought, he put time and thought into your date, and you say right there, shit on. Did you run from that damn table? I hope you did. I did not run from the table, but I was like, what is going on? And so the whole time I'm thinking it's going to be turned into like sexy questions. Like, ooh, they're going to be a sexy. Like, okay. They were like the most lame fucking questions. It wasn't no sexy questions. It wasn't no intimacy questions. It was like, how many kids do you want to have? Do you want a mortgage? Like, this shit was so fucking whack. Man, I might have been here for it. Cause like, 30-year fixed. Uh, I'm, here for, I'm here for that. That's good question. He could have spiced it up. He could have made it more fun, but those were good questions. That was going to be. material to me. Not on a second date. Not he on was second. trying to get to know you. <laughs> Thank you, oh. Kim. Thank you, Y'all, It was terrible. It was terrible. You have terrible. a hard time. If I know who Lane Leon is, which I think I have a clue, he was probably a good dude. He just no. needed a little spice. Man, I he needed you. a lot of, he needed like all the spice in Latin America spice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> we do it. He was white, white woman making chicken breasts. Like that's what we were. Like learn how to season your food. Like no, no. I can't. I'm, I'm that's, that's some cow shit. Like cow was in. And on page two, I'm your <laughs> husband. I love. <laughs> but they make games just like that. Now they have all these different card games for couples, where mm-hmm. they have all those questions in there to make it easier to have those intimate conversations. Yes, man, Kim, you are preaching. Mel, that was a good man. Man, that was a good man, lame as Leon. If he had brought the game, you might have been like, okay, but he okay. That construction paper and seals. I could see <laughs> on his bed with his little legs crossed behind him. Just, and he was so excited. I'm sure he was like, this is gonna be great. He was um, excited. Swinging his legs in the air. Oh, I'm gonna cut this one out. <laughs> oh my god. Hey, hey, hey. Don't listen to him. Don't. Listen to him. I was trying to get out of here. I was like, "Please get. I need to go home." But this man put time. He took it to a nice restaurant. He put thought into an activity for the date, and you said, yeah. "Come on." It was whack. Yeah, it okay. was lame. Okay. I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna call him Cal from now on. I was gonna. This is nickname. <laughs> See, but this time, you should have flipped it up on him. You should have been like. All right, well, let me ask you some questions. Exactly. Let's take I shots. tried. I Let's tried. Do he was, like, like, he was what, not having it. He just wanted me to answer his lame questions. For every question I answer, you got to take a shot. He wasn't doing that. Oh, yeah, it was a mess. Lame. He was cow. He was cow. He was cow all the way. Okay, right. we digress. That was really funny. But you see Cal a good man, though. I mean, he dumb, but he a good man. He dumb, but he a good one. <laughs> You know how to make them pancakes. He be making them pancakes. I like it. Taking like care of the kids. <laughs> crushing they, crushing they dreams. That he can't remember unless he write them down on paper. You have approximately. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, we get back into it. So <laughs> the next the next scene has us going to uh, Will in June's house, and um, we they get a knock on the door. They're like just you know having dinner, and they get a knock on the door from a man named Nelson Gardner, um, and come to find out that he is Captain Metropolis. So he's this white guy, tall, blonde hair, very beautiful. He comes in and basically is like uh, asking Will uh, to join what's called the Minutemen. Thing. One quick thing. Um, yeah. He said, can you excuse us, June? Because I have business. And June just goes, oh, business. And sits right on that. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, oh, we got business. Yeah, me, we got, the three of us got business. All of us. Who got, got business? business. <laughs> okay. That was the most black woman thing I ever yeah. saw anybody do on, on television on HBO. I love it. Don't be coming into my house talking about we got business. After, yeah, my, after my man was just hung by the people. <laughs> Listen. What business do we have? Right. <laughs> we got all the business. Right. Um, so uh, Captain Metropolis basically tells uh, Will that he knows that he is Hood of Justice and he would like for uh, Will to join the Minutemen and they're going to be this new vigil- vigilante, uh, you know, basically crime fighters um, that are going to go around and work together. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So he, um, you know, is like, okay, I, I, I kind of like this idea. Um, he, I feel like, Captain Metropolis just looked at him a, lot, a little bit too long. He gave him a little bit too much of a, when he slid his card over to him, it was a little bit, it was just a lot of innuendo. And I, I was like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. So uh, we'll immediately ask him like, oh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested. Do you, have you ever heard about Cyclops? And uh, Captain Metropolis like, oh no, I haven't heard about them before, but if you join us then we can help you investigate, like don't, you're this on your own. If you join our team, then we're going to get all, we're basically selling him a dream basically. Um, but June is not, she's, you know, it's a three-person meeting, even though he tried to make it a two-person meeting. So June is like, I don't like this. I don't like how you slid your business card to my, to my man hand. I don't like you came in my house. When we have dinner. Like she is not having it. And she uh, thinks that it's a huge mistake. And she's just like, I don't think this is, is the right move for us, me and you. So that scene um, is open for discussion. Does anybody else have anything to, to add? I just love June throughout this whole scene because she was not for the shenanigans. She laughed at him at one point. I just loved her. So it's like June. I mean, minus the pseudo and sexual relationship that they have, I I like June because yeah, how you raise someone, you raise them, you take them as a baby, and then somehow they become your lover wife. I don't know, <laughs> but this. <laughs> This pseudo incestual relationship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I like you. <laughs> Woody Allen school of a uh, relationship. I feel like we've had enough incestual situations with Game of Thrones. Like we're there. Like I've, this isn't the strangest thing that we've seen on HBO right. so far. Clearly, incest is a thing. It's right. a thing. We was all we was all for it on Game of Thrones when it was. <laughs> No, I was not never. I was never not. Well, I was never for the brother sister relationship. Oh no! I said when it was John and Daenerys, folks was like, "Well, that's all right, you know." They kind of. Well, I, I gave him a straight call pass. I'm like, "Yeah, go for it, do it." Go for it. <laughs> I mean, they didn't grow okay. up together. <laughs> right. I mean, you know like cousins married each other. I mean, it ain't like y'all twin brother and sister. I mean, this yeah, is. Baby, like- you. Baby, since you can't calm your hair, she can't calm your hair. That's all right. She ain't make you breakfast. <laughs> so, uh, 
So then he's kind of, you know, getting into really thinking about joining the Minutemen, who are the new vigilante, you know, gang on the street, and they're headed up by Captain Metropolis. Um, so the next uh, scene that we go to, uh, it opens where uh, Will is having sex with our boy, Captain Metropolis. He's just throwing that blonde hair all over the place. And I was like, okay, because we've seen this play out in the American Hero story on TV. Uh, that was like on a second, second or third episode of the series. We um, remember when they had kind of that long intro in and we see that uh, they were kind of having sex um, in that TV show. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is an interesting way to start a scene. Like it, love it. Um, so basically, we'll... He tells, uh, Captain Metropolis tells Will that you can definitely join the Minuteman. We're really looking forward to, you know, for you being a part of part of our team. He's just selling him, like, a, just a bell of goods. Like, he sounds like a used car salesman at this point. <laughs> Rubbing out on his chest. And he like, got his back oh. blown out. <laughs> right. What? He got his back blown out and offered him an opportunity to join the team. Listen, he was like, let me, uh, don't leave just yet, boo. Get, get, get some water in and <laughs> take your time. So he's telling him, like, so Will's like, oh, they really want me on the team. They're like, she's like, oh, yeah, the, we have women on our team and everything. But if you're on our team, you know, you need to keep your hood and stuff on. Basically, like, you know, we're very open-minded, but not that open-minded. Meaning that, that he cannot reveal to them that he's a black man. Which, to me, is really fucked up. Um, yeah, so I, I, I didn't like that at all. I, I mean, yeah. I was mad at Will from, on multiple levels right here. But that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about that. I don't, I don't I didn't get gay vibes from Will. I was kind of thrown off by it, but then I thought like homosexuality doesn't look like anything. It's on a spectrum, like so. I caught myself there, but I just didn't. I didn't. Um, I didn't get the gay vibes from his. I character. mean, I, we just came off the scene where I was really loving June, and then I'm like, you gonna cheat on June with this white dude who this man yeah. here don't don't care about you. We don't love you. He over here talking about you gotta hide who you are and you already got this background, this traumatic background where you saw white men murder your whole family. I was just like, Will, come on. This this yeah. episode gave me too many emotions. Too many. Yeah. It was like, I mean, they made the innuendo when uh at the 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 previous scene because like he had he held his stare a little bit longer. He slid his card over a little, you know, they kind of had like a hand touchy moment yeah sexuality is a spectrum um we are all for everyone living their best life but i yeah i'm like i did not like that he was cheating on june that pissed me off and, uh, I mean, but I, to be fair i didn't get that he and june were really into it like that either so oh really? i thought i mean they just like they, they're like best friends in love like let's go yeah they were it was more friend vibe than let's get down vibe no, well i mean we got the incest going on we have that <laughs> pseudo <laughs> no, no, I knew it was coming because in the graphic novel they had the same relationship. So once I realized Will was headed justice, I realized this was going to happen. You just didn't oh. feel like Will came across as gay to you. Yeah, to me. I don't yeah, know. If very straight me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I like I, I totally agree with you. Um, and I feel like the show did that for for us who are not comic book uh readers, it did a good job of kind of, you know, making that uh, seen, um, making us all, uh, clinch our, clinch our pearls. If you were wearing pearls, you could clinch them like I did. 
Uh, so, you know, they're kind of in bed, they're talking to each other. And then um, Captain Metropolis was like, we can, next time we can try with our masks on. I was like, if you don't get your, your ass now somewhere, it just took it too, it was just going to, it was just being too much. Reminded me of all the teachers and signs that you see at the protest now that's saying, just cause you like black dick doesn't make you not racist. Yes, 100%. In the comic book, that's what they do. Like, they have sex with the mask on. Like, oh. like there's a scene where Captain Metropolis, I think he, can't, he couldn't get an erection for a point in time, but he, like, mm-hmm. quits, he beats somebody up with his mask on, and he gets an erection. Oh. <laughs> I'm a, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm going to have to get this comic, because this, this comic is <laughs> going on in this comic. <laughs> More to meet the eye. <laughs> What's all this, this aggression, this t- testosterone makes you? Maybe that's what it is. All this super strength. Maybe. I'm trying to get it out. So we, um, uh, after he, we see the scene with uh, Captain Metropolis and Will. Um, we next see the next scene is with Will and June at their house. And uh, they're kind of like on the bed, hugged up. And uh, June is like, don't you remember the first time, you know, you saw me and, he says, yeah, I thought that I was the, the last person on earth. He just looked up and he saw the, you know, that the city was burnt, being burnt up. He said, he, and I, I heard you and I saw you wrapped in an American flag. And he goes and picks her up. Um, and she says, yeah, you know, um, you were crying. He's like, well, you, you, you helped me to stop crying and I don't ever want you to make me cry again. And then she tells him, you know, I'm pregnant. So I was like, oh, oh, snaps. This is a, this is a lot of layers. This man has a very, very entanglement life um, at this point. He is hella, hella entangled. So um, <laughs> it's like, there's a lot of entanglements. Yeah. So, so, June, so June is Will is what you're saying? June is Will Smith? <laughs> yes. June is Will Smith being mad at that table, at the red table talk. <laughs> she was upset. <laughs> so uh will um um then decides that he's going to join the Minutemen. um but he really wants to join them to find the what find out what cyclops is um so he joins them and kind of does this press event and then he's like he's ready to go do the press event. he's like i'm ready to i got things to do we got to find cyclops i got all these clippings i got my little folder ready to go and captain uh, metropolis basically shuts him down he's just basically there you know as a token as somebody to help them get more advertisements and you see that they're just really not about that they're, they're about bullshit right nothing that that he sold him is what they're they don't care about true justice they don't really care about anything and it reminded me of um the boys like that this scene um of the boys on uh the other comic book show on um, amazon prime so that was a really, that was really interesting. So he just had his little folder, but he really do want to find a Cyclops. So I don't know what's going to happen. <clears throat> then we see uh, Will's uh, son is born. So we kind of see him, uh, uh, him being born. He kind of grows up a little bit to like a toddler. But throughout this montage, uh, you just see the little boy, uh, whose name is Marcus, just be with his mom. Um, you never see him kind of with his dad or like going out and enjoying life or anything because it seems like Will is so caught up being hooded justice. So I thought that was kind of a sad scene, but it made sense um, that they don't have that bond because he's so focused on finding out who Cyclops is and uh, defending, being hooded justice and defending people. So that was kind of kind of a sad scene a little bit, I think. Um, 
And then we see that now Will's being called into work. So he shows up at a movie theater in a black community and a white cop makes this racist, you know, statement. Um, he was like, yeah, we don't, I don't know what happened. They just started killing each other and beating each other up. So for some reason in a black movie theater, people just started attacking each other, but they don't, nobody can kind of figure out what's happening. So Will walks in um, and we already know that he was in a movie theater when the massacre in Tulsa happened as well. So he has that trauma and he sees a young lady crying and he asks her like, well, what happened? And she says um, that uh, at the beginning of the movie that these lights started flashing off and on, off and on. And then a voice popped up in her head telling her to hurt people and hurt herself. So she said, that's all she heard. She said, but there was just lights flashing. She's just crying. So, you know, whatever she's done, you know, she's feeling very regretful for it. And her face is, you know, bruised, her eyes kind of uh, swollen. So they've just kind of had it out. You see people are dead in the theater, bodies being taken out. It's, it's just a mayhem. Um, then uh, Will uh, starts to kind of, in that moment, starts to piece together um, and like kind of like flashbacks, uh, Cyclops, the police, um, that book about um, uh, putting people under a hypno hypnosis book. So he's kind of trying to put all of these things together kind of in his head and figuring out why, um, why, would, a, why would Black people just start doing harm to each other for no, no apparent reason. So in his mind, he's starting to piece all this stuff together. So you're seeing kind of the detective uh, coming out in the Hood of Justice. Did you guys have anything about that scene? It was just a heartbreaking thing. You saw everybody kind of just being, you could tell that it was a lot of mayhem and the, a lot of people probably have a lot of survival's guilt, you know. So um, the next scene, Will is, you know, he's trying to figure out what really happened. He calls, um, Cap goes to a phone booth and he calls Captain Metropolis and he's like, there, you know, there were these uh, in the black community. These people just started killing each other. Like, we got to look into this. We need to solve this case. And uh, Captain Metropolis basically shows his true colors and he was like, you know, we don't care about that. Black people, black unrest, that's not anything that we care about as a minute man. Like, uh, that maybe people in Harlem care about that. So you see, like, he's just being the same racist he was when he was, you know, getting his back blown out uh, in, the, in the scene a couple of times ago. Again, like, like black dicks that don't want to open their mouth for black problems. Right. Yeah, so he was like, whatever. Um, so as Will is uh, kind of in the phone booth talking to Captain Metropolis, here come this dude again. Here go Fred ass again. This is the third time he don't pop his racist ass up. Like, how did he get around town so so easily? I don't know. He's strange. Um, so uh, what Will has done is he's kind of tied in um, that the movie theater uh, projectors had something to do with it. So he's traced the projectors to a warehouse. Um, that come to find out Fred actually owns this, this warehouse. So Fred uh, bumps into him again. He says something super racist about, you know, black man, a black manhood and all these things. What Fred does not seem to connect is that Will is the same cop that he's been, you know, being mean to and nasty to th two other times before. Mm -hmm. So Will has just had it. He's like, I'm done with this. He puts a bullet straight in between your boy's uh, uh, eyeballs. He just shoots him in the head. I said, I was like, I said, huh? yeah, I was like, yeah, I, you gotta go. I, this is just too much. Um, so he kills him and then he, uh, decides to go into the back of the warehouse. When he goes into the warehouse, he sees that there's the, um, that there's like pieces of the projectors, the movie projectors that they've taken apart. And he sees all these other little, um, 
little parts like flash bulbs that's happening he just goes and shoots everybody so he was like i'm done i everybody has to go at this point so he kills everybody inside he we know he's already uh, shot fred out front um then he go he uh thinks that he's like okay let me make sure that there's nobody here he sees uh, a door and on top of the door has a red uh, flash bulb. And it's kind of, if you go into a studio um, that people are recording, they'll have like the red go, I mean, red stop or go. So you don't interrupt their recording. So he goes and just opens the door. So he sees the same racist cop back at his precinct who did the, you know, the Cyclops sign, the one that hung him, lynched him, the one that drove the car, that drugged the two black men behind it. It's the same guy. And he's recording his voice um, over uh, um, video uh, voice record to embed it into the movies. And what he's saying is, you know, black people, you know, hurt other black people. You know, he's saying hateful things and then he's saying hurt yourself. So he's recording his voice and put embedding it into the movies. And that's what the young lady back at the movie theater said. She saw flash, flashing lights go on and off. And then she heard a voice in her head. So now we see that this man is the one that's been recording, um, recording the voice uh, over the actual um, movie or embedding it into the movie. <clears throat> so then Will goes and he's about to shoot him in the head. He runs out of bullets. So then he just grabs something and starts strangling this guy. He kills him. Um, and then he brings all of their bodies together and puts them in the center of the warehouse and burns the warehouse down. He takes the projectors um, and all the technology and he just leaves. So that's the end of that very, very intense, like clim climax of the 10th level scene. What did you guys feel about that? Uh, it's nothing much. It was just, it was I'm to make a point. Never mind. I don't know when this comes out and I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. So keep going. Me personally, it brought me so much joy. And I, 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 I guess I felt kind of bad, but I, I felt so much joy. Does that make me racist? <laughs> no. <laughs> I felt joy when he shot Fred in the head. No, just, okay. <laughs> just the imagery of that factory bird in the background, all the racist people being dead. It just brought me, I, I was just so happy. I loved it. I loved it. I thought I thought it was a good scene. I was like, racist gotta go. So when he killed Fred, I was like, bye, Fred. See you later. He had it coming. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I feel like these are the people who want a race war. They just wanted Black people to kill themselves, you know? Um, so turning it around on them, I was fine with. Right. And Fred had already proven that he was the worst of the worst, and that policeman was the worst of the worst. So they need to go. So no, I didn't feel bad for them at all. Nope. Bye. So um, at the end of that scene, we see Will kind of flash back to when he saw Tulsa burning as a small child and he was looking at the warehouse that was burning up. I thought that was a really powerful scene. I thought it was a beautiful scene um, that needed to happen. I was like, yep, the races are gone. Uh, you did what you needed to do as we did justice. You defended your people. Um, and what I loved about it as well is that he didn't have his hood on. He was in his policeman's uniform. Like, I was like, uh-oh, hooded justice. They know you're a police now. So I was, I was down for that. He gave no fucks at that point. He didn't care at all. He was going to kill the world. So right. do what you got to do. So the next, um, he goes home and, uh, you know, he's kind of just been through all of this uh, trauma, 
all this stuff has happened. Uh, he walks in the house. He sees his little boy like putting on his face, his face makeup, the white makeup that he puts around his eyes so that people think he's a white man under a hood. And he just loses it. Like he just, uh, his anger boils over. He, you know, grabs his son's arm and tries to wipe it off his face. And the little boy doesn't know what's going on. Um, and June is just done at this point. She's like, you are, I told you you're too angry. You know, what you tr started off doing um, is basically feeding your anger and not helping you get better. You know, I thought that this will maybe help you get better, but it's just making it worse. And then she basically tells him that she's uh, headed back to Tulsa with her son and that she is, that he is not invited. Like he needs to stay here in New York. Her and the baby um, are headed back to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we see Angela's dad and Angela's uh, future grandma now headed back to Tulsa where she was born. Did you guys have anything to say about that scene? I mean, I, I did think it was interesting because kids are always watching you and emulating yeah. you. And um, I would assume as his dad, he, he wasn't home probably a lot. And when he was home, to him, the little kid probably just thought he was playing dress up. Like he didn't know yeah. the seriousness mm -hmm. of um, what was really happening. Yeah. And June, I don't know, she might have overreacted a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, she did kind of start this thing. Um, so, But I feel I, like she, but she never wanted him to join the Minuteman. She wanted him to do it like as himself, you know, by just hooded justice. So maybe she got wind that he was having some extracurriculars. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. That wasn't his first extracurriculars. So I'm thinking in my mind, that wasn't his first extracurriculars, but uh, I don't know. I, um, I just thought June guys, she, maybe she was just fed up after all those years. So. Yeah. I think that that can definitely be it. And I'm like, and then again, when you are, in her mind, she's like, I'm helping you do this so that you can be better. I told you not to join the Miniman already. Told you what not to do. You did that shit anyway. So now you just turned all the way up and we about to go. Like, see ya. Bye-bye. So now we know we can connect uh, Angela to her family, to her dad um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. All right. So now we're getting to a very pivotal, a very pivotal scene. Uh, we now flash to the next memory um, that Will has, and it is of the, t of the night that he killed um, uh, Chief Judd. So what happens is you see Will, um, he's kind of sitting near, kind of on the side of the road in his wheelchair, and he sees the truck coming down the road. Um, he put like little spikes out in the road to blow out Judd's tires. Um, so when Judd gets out of the car, uh, we remember from the very first episode that he saw flashing lights. So Will has basically taken that technology that the Cyclops people were using, and he has those flashing lights. And what that does is hypnotize people. And then you kind of tell them what you want them to do. So he flashes the lights in, judges, in Judd's eyes um, to kind of make him come to him. We're going to walk to the tree. And so he's, as Judd pushes the wheelchair to the tree and um, he stops the light. And then Judd says, you know, I don't know what you think you're doing. Um, and, you know, Will's like, I know you have a, a hood in your closet, like a KKK uniform. He's like, well, that's my legacy. You know, that's my grandfather's. That's my legacy. And then he's like, I'm trying to help you people. Um, so basically, like, I'm trying to help, you know, you, you know, poor black people or poor niggas or whatever he was trying to say. 
Right. Will is Will is not having it. Like he really is over it. He was like, nope, nope. There is a fast and insidious, you know, like he always said, conspiracy going on. So he's he's coming from all the all the way back at Cyclops to to the modern day um seventh cavalry. Uh so Will um basically gives him the Cyclops hand signal to his forehead. Um he's like, I know you, I know what you're all about. Um and then he tells Judd to hang himself, and Judd does. So he hangs himself from the tree um, and kills himself, which is where we come into the story. And then uh, you just see poor Angela in the wheelchair looking up at Judd hanging as Will. And she just kind of sees all these different flashes, all these memories coming back. Um, So I didn't know what was, I thought she was maybe having a seizure, but then you see, you know, all these different parts of his memory. And the last thing you see um, before uh, the end of the show is that um, June walks up to her and kind of like strokes her on her cheek. And then you see an older woman, you know, tell her um, that she's going to take care of her and it's time, you know, Angela time to uh, wake up. So that was a very powerful scene. And it was done so perfectly. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't, I thought she was maybe having a seizure at the end. Like what the hell is going on? But it was. I like like that they chose to um, go back to her when, uh, Judd was actually hanging himself instead of staying with, uh, you know, Lou Gossip. With yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I mean, her grandfather did tell her, you know, he kept saying, you know, I'm the one with hung, you know, your, you know, your chief. Uh, and she, cause she couldn't figure out how he did it. So I was like, so now she can just really put all these things together. Uh, but then at the end, when all those memories and all those like ghosts of the past just start walking, you know, under this tree where this white man has been hung. It was just, it was crazy. That was that. I thought I was on drugs at that point. It was, it was, but it was very well done. It was beautifully done. Yeah. Marcus, you have anything? No, no, no. Like I said, I thought it was the best episode of the season. Mm-hmm. It's one so, of the best episodes to me. One of the best. All <laughs> TV episodes ever. <laughs> like, that's how much I yeah I mean so just the way they told the story like I don't want to like say it was like a dog like they really I'll say dog walk but like they really dog walk this this whole entire story a good dog walk though like the flash flashbacks and fast forwards and all that stuff yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it was really powerful and very beautifully done again the way they played with color the way they did everything was just absolutely gorgeous um i couldn't pay enough my eyes were darting all over i couldn't pay enough attention to who was in color who wasn't in color you know even in this last uh, one of the, the second to last scene when she's under the tree then you see will's mom paint playing the piano again um and she's always kind of been that ashy uh kind of a red a, a deep red color mm-hmm. so that was beautiful then we see uh once the old lady tells her it's time to wake up she wakes up um in a room where she has this tube connected to her arm and you see lady true sitting in a chair that looks at you know she's just kind of looking at her um i'm like oh this here comes lady true again please give me just please get away from her um and then she just says welcome back and angela's just sitting there kind of like what the hell did i just go through and then we fade to black end of episode so we back at Lady True, I, who I told you already was the best supervillain ever because she always in 
she had on black and white this time, but she's usually in all white. So I'm just like, she's the super villain. So and she'd be in the mix. She always be in everybody's business. Still mm -hmm. like her. <laughs> oh, I love her. I, don't, I still don't see her as a villain at this yeah. point in time. Yeah. I was like, she has she has some some white cats walking around there waiting to be stroked <laughs> and told an evil plan to. <laughs> right. And so, because the nostalgia is something that uh, true industries will um, produce, she had the, I guess you would call it antidote. Like, if she wasn't there, there's no way Angela would have survived. Any normal person wouldn't have survived taking a bottle of nostalgia. So, yeah. 100%. And I mean, it's like, well, we got to get her there. She has to help her out. But yeah, I was like, dang it. If anybody, I was, I was hoping that her grandfather would have been there when she opened her eyes. I'm like, that would have been like even freakier. Yeah. Really. It was, yeah, it was one of the best episodes of TV I've ever seen in my life. Yes. Hands down. I, it was so well done. And I feel like we can't even do it justice. Like, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not seen this episode, please go watch it. It, with the flashbacks, the way they played with imagery, the way they played with color, the way you're looking at Angela living her grandfather's life through her own eyes. Because like, it was just, like I said, it was so many layers of this shit. And they really had to, hmm? Go ahead. They really had I to. Say, like, they, they, like I said, they don't waste any, they waste nothing in this show. And I think that's what, that's what makes it so perfect. Everything has a purpose. Everything. Okay. I, when I first time I saw this episode, I felt like um, it's almost, it can almost stand on its own. Like it's a couple of things you would need kind of um, maybe as a backstory for Angela, especially as how the, the episode comes in because it comes in with her kind of tweaking while she's locked up. You would probably need to know that because she took some memory pills or whatever. But other than that, the episode is kind of like, a standalone like I, I when this first aired I was telling people on Facebook to if you don't watch any other episode of this you know if this is not your cup of tea I get it just watch yeah. this episode <laughs> yeah I totally agree it was brilliant they do a perfect beautiful that's why they got all the uh, Emmy nominations right now all right, I'm so glad Lou Gossip Jr. got a um, nomination. I have always loved him. I don't think that yeah. he's gotten um, the praise that he deserved throughout the years just because he was in a lot of shit earlier in his career. Yeah, yeah. So he kind of just, I don't, know, I don't know if he took a back seat or if he maybe moved into theater or not. I'm not sure, but he's just, he, you know, he's been excellent in everything. So I'm glad in, in his you know, midnight hour, if you will, because <laughs> he up there that, you yeah. know, he's getting immunized, so. Is he in five months? He can be as old as Cicely Tice. He's not in, he's not in five bloods, no. Oh, okay. Cicely's a hundred, is she, what, 90? A hundred, what old is she? She's 90. How old is she? I don't know. How old is Miss Jane? Okay, <laughs> he is 84. Louis Gossett Jr. is 84. <laughs> okay. I just, uh, Cicely will always be Miss Jane Pittman to me uh, to the day I die. That I'll tell you right now. No, you didn't ask was uh, she 100 or something. Just because she played a character that was <laughs> does not me. She's really old. Cicely Tyson's like 90-something plus. She's 95. Yeah. 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 Her and Betty Davis. Her and Betty Davis are the oldest two people. Yeah, right. I still 
Betty White. <laughs> Betty White, I'm sorry, Betty White. Yeah, someone like Betty Davis has been dead. <laughs> she's just playing a ghost. Stay off being a ghost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But very, very, very good. He did an, an excellent, amazing, wonderful, phenomenal job. Um, yeah. It's brilliant. So we will see you guys for episode seven and eight um, on our next recording. And thank you for joining us for episode six. Uh, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.